The following episode was recorded on December 19th, 2023. Is the job what you expected it to be? A lot of it is, yeah. I knew it was going to be one that's challenging, and it certainly has been. Everybody wants to see San Antonio succeed, and together, if we focus on the issues that the voters put us here to focus on, I think we can do a lot of great things. You know, I love the work, and I'm honored to do the work. We can get those streets fixed. We can get those potholes fixed. We can see improvements in the park. I agree with Councilman White in that we do have to focus on the basics of what city government is supposed to do to make our city better. They want to make a difference, and no amount of red tape or bureaucracy will slow them down. San Antonio City Council members Marina Alderete Gavito and Mark White never expected to find themselves in the middle of a city bureaucracy, but their actions, leadership, and determination are proving they will do what it takes to effectuate change in order to improve the lives of the residents of their districts and of their city. They are freshmen on the San Antonio City Council, Alderete Gavito representing District 7 and White representing District 10. We wanted to find out what they've learned after seven months on the job, how they approach solving problems, and how they have fared on their campaign promises. From the podcast studio at Lano Realty Partners, here are council members Marina Alderete Gavito and Mark White. All right, so Mark, and, and I'll ask you both this question. What is the job, what you expected it to be? A lot of it is, yeah. You know, I had uh, I thought a lot about this position before running for office, and I knew it was going to be one that's challenging, uh, and it certainly has been. And, you know, to me, it's all about finding ways to collaborate with my council colleagues to move the ball forward for San Antonio. And um, a lot of us come from different backgrounds. We have different viewpoints on things. But I believe everybody's heart on this council is in the right place. Everybody wants to see San Antonio succeed. And uh, together, if we focus on the issues that the voters put us here to focus on, uh, I think we can do a lot of great things. Councilwoman Gavito, tell me your your thoughts on whether you, you have found the job to be what you expected it to be. I mean, you had a little bit of an advantage that your father's a former city councilman and you have been active in the community and watch City Hall in action. Um, So what did you find when you got in? Yeah, you know, I love the work um, and I'm honored to do the work. I think that when you're at the local level of government, the action-orientedness of city government is, is just a lot quicker, right? We can get those streets fixed for the elderly women who have to drive over them every day to get to church. You know, we can get those potholes fixed. We can see improvements in the park I agree with Councilman White in that we do have to focus on the basics of what city government is supposed to do. And so I think both him and I share that focus, and and we're just about getting things done that that we need to get done to make our city better. I've noticed that with council, and and you talked about being so close Mm -hmm. to the residents, that constituent service seems to be a very important issue. Would you agree? Yeah. And when I was building my team, that was the primary focus was constituent services. I hired an amazing director of constituent services and our constituent service representatives makes a bulk of my team. 
Uh, we want to make sure that we're not handing our residents off to any other city departments, that we're closing out the issues for them. I think just because of the nature of San Antonio and how we've been built, some districts have a lot more potholes to be fixed or streets without sidewalks and curbs um, than other districts. I, you know, District 7 has some of the highest amount of F-rated streets. So we have a lot of work to do in terms of filling in the gaps of for infrastructure. And so, you know, we can't necessarily fix all the potholes quickly, you know, um, as as quickly as we want to, but we're clearing out a backlog pretty pretty good right now. And Mark, would you would you agree on the constituent service side? Yeah, constituent services has to be number one for us. Um, we've got a great constituent services team with the District 10 office. Um, Steve Peterson's been around a long time, um, and we added to his team uh, when I got into office. So we've got a good group that's really focused on uh, being as responsive as possible to, to the residents. You know, whatever the issue is, uh, we're constantly encouraging them. Call our office, let us know, and if there's anything at all that we can uh, get done for them, we're going to do it. And so Marina's right. It's It's got to be number one. And um, throughout my tenure on city council, it always will be. You said whatever the issue is. What kind of issues do people call you about? Yeah, well, it mostly has to do with, with streets and, and sidewalks and drainage and lighting and, and drainage. You know, all the basics, you know, people every day, they, they wake up, they get dressed, they go to work. Uh, and they come home. So they're traveling on, on our streets. They're, uh, they want their homes and th- th- where, where they are to be well lit, you know, for safety purposes. And so, you know, again, it's, it's back to the basics. That's what folks care about day to day. Are they safe in their homes? Do they have a well-paved road uh, to get to and from work? Um, are the sidewalks in good shape for the weekends when they want to take their dogs uh, on a walk? It, it's all of those types of things. Marina, in your case, one of the things you campaigned on was the dangerous dog situation. And you're a jogger and you would come across them. Some dogs were just loose and may not have been dangerous, but but you don't know when you see one that's coming towards you. That's right. Yeah. As um, as Mark was mentioning, you know, we do get a lot of calls on streets and, and sidewalks or stop signs or, you know, lighting. But in District 7, we get a lot of calls on loose, dangerous dogs in the area. And I'd also say we get a lot of calls on homeless encampments. But we can talk about homeless encampments more later on in this episode. But the loose dogs is a problem. You know, on Saturday night, our District 7 team had our holiday tree lighting at Woodlawn Lake Park. And we had a huge crowd, tons of children. um, And we featured the Spurs Coyote he was out there, and of course, you know, everyone's excited to see the coyote. And he comes out, and there's literally four loose dogs in the area. And one of them, one of the dogs was getting aggressive with the coyote because he was scared, you know? And so <laughs> then I'm like, oh God, this is just a disaster waiting to happen. There's so many little kids. And then my team's having to kind of scoot this agitated dog along, and then I'm nervous that they're going to get bit. And so it, it's, it's frustrating. You know, we need to get these dogs off of our streets. They're, you know, I love dogs. Anybody who knows me and knows me well knows that I'm a huge animal lover. But when um, these dogs are terrorizing our neighborhoods or making it unsafe for our kids to walk to school, it's a, it's a problem. You, all, in addition to the dog issue, you also um, campaigned on the homelessness issue. And more recently, you've had an issue with people going into abandoned buildings, especially near a school, 
So how are you finding post-budget? Because this was the first time I recall that the city took a serious approach to cleaning up encampments. Mm -hmm. But encampments is one issue. Uh, Going into abandoned buildings and starting fires is a separate issue. Uh, And in, in your particular case, in your district, some of these abandoned buildings were near schools. Mm-hmm. That's right. And so uh, we put together a CCR to outline sensitive areas where we're kind of saying homeless encampments can't be. And and my colleague, Councilman White, signed on to it. What we're saying is homeless encampments cannot be near schools. You know, they cannot be in uh, drainage ditches. They can't be in parks. They can't be... Um, we outlined a, a couple of different areas, trailways. And this, this is not a cruelty no. issue. It's a safety issue. It's a safety issue. It is a life because safety we don't, issue. we don't know some of the, a, a third of the homeless population is usually suffering a mental health um, issue. Mm-hmm. And with that in mind, it's not a good idea to have any encampments near schools. That that's, that's exactly it. And also too, um, and especially as we're going to see the winter months coming, when people start congregating in vacant buildings or in empty housing uh, houses, you know they're going to start fires to and keep that, warm. Uh, yeah, to keep warm, and that's that's a huge hazard in and of itself. And so, you know, it's not that we're saying, "Hey, you can't be here," and there's nowhere else to go. The city does have places for them to go, and so it's we need to funnel them and connect them to the help and resources that they need. I think one of the mistakes that Austin did was saying, hey, you know, homeless encampments can be anywhere or we have to criminalize them. You know, we're not saying we're going to criminalize our homeless population. That would do, that would wreak havoc on our jails and, and that kind of stuff. But we're saying, hey, you can't be here. You can't be near this school. But there are places that you can be. There's Haven for Hope. There's SAM Ministries, you know. And, and again, the intention is to connect them to the help and resources that they need. Mark, you've this has been an issue for you as well. Yeah, and proud to collaborate with Maureen on this. Her her leadership in this regard has has really been great, and it's one of the first things that I think we connected on after we got on the council. You know, the city did a survey earlier this year on what was the top issues of concern uh, to our residents, and and these homeless encampments were were right at the top of the list. It was number one, I think, in every district um, except for one where it was second. It's a public safety issue. Um, as we've mentioned, right, when you got these folks wandering around neighborhoods near schools and other places, um, it's a safety issue. But it's also an economic development issue. You know, anybody that walks around downtown um, knows that these folks are, are, are roaming the streets. Um, we've had um, businesses reach out to us that, that, that have said, listen, we can't, we can't be downtown anymore because we don't want our staffs to continually be um, harassed by some of these folks. And so we've had businesses leave. So it's an economic development issue. And then, of course, it's also a financial one, right, for our city to be spending our resources dealing with this problem. Um, it, it, it drains San Antonio resources. So it's a really complicated issue. Um, we held a town hall on homelessness in District 10 about uh, three months ago where we talked this over with, with the residents. And, and we said, listen, you know, it's uh, we want to get these folks off the street, and that's why we're, we're doing some of this low-barrier shelter um, and the residents seem to appreciate that. But by the same token, they also want to know that um, we're not just going to endlessly spend their money um, on this problem if we're not seeing results. 
Do you feel like in this year's budget cycle, the commitment to removing encampments in a two-week time frame, is that working? You know, I know that residents were excited to see that. They felt that some of these encampments were able to grow and just get unruly and, and um, were never really addressed. So that was a welcome change for city for our city government to say, hey, we're going to be cleaning up those encampments every two weeks. It was interesting. Mark and I, um, and actually the city manager, Eric Walsh, we sat in on a homelessness panel at the National League of Cities conference. And it was interesting. A lot of leaders from other cities are just working with and dealing with the encampments. So much so that some cities actually have trash service at encampments, you know, and we all huddled afterwards and we're like, hey, that's not okay. And that is not what we want for San Antonio. You that know, it becomes and, a colonia. Yeah, it really does. An you know, regulated um, city unto itself without all the benefits right. of the rest of society. Exactly. And so, you know, I mean, it's, it's obviously good that we're all on the same page and we're just going to be trekking along to make sure, you know, San Antonio doesn't become Austin or San Francisco or Seattle, where it's just so many um, encampments and, and dealing with it. Mark, do you feel like the program is working? I think it's off to a good start. We, we've had some feedback from some of our residents who have called in these encampments when they've, when they've identified them and have told us, yes, you know, within two weeks, we are seeing that, that they're being cleaned up. Now, unfortunately, a lot of the folks, they get moved out and then they move right back in. Um, but we tell our residents again, you know, you got to call it in and, and the city needs to live up to its commitment uh, to clean up the encampments. And, and so far, I think we're doing that. Today's episode is proudly sponsored by Lano Realty Partners. They are a San Antonio-based commercial real estate brokerage offering a wide range of services. And they combine the intimate local expertise of a boutique brokerage with the advanced capabilities of a modern national brokerage to provide clients with a superior level of service. With a team of experienced professionals, Lano Realty Partners is dedicated to delivering results and exceeding the expectations of its clients. For more information, go to lanorealty.com. That's L-L-A-N-O realty.com. Okay, so I want to ask you the question I asked Marina, and that is some items that you campaigned on. One of them was cutting spending, and another one was public safety. You wanted to see a bigger emphasis. There was a lot of concern about the rise in crime. And again, during the city budget process, the city manager proposed hiring 300 police, about 100 per year for three years. Has that process begun. Yeah, very excited that in this last budget, we got the money for a little over 100 new officers. Um, and that's just sorely needed, right? When you talk to our uh, police force, you understand that they are stretched thin. Uh, there's not enough folks out there on the street um, patrolling uh, and more folks on the street patrolling our streets. It deters crime, right? Police can help deter crime. And so we, we need more people out there and we got the money in the budget to do that. In the coming budgets, we need to follow through and make sure that we do get all 300 officers, right? So I'm expecting in, in the budget uh, for 2025 that we're going to uh, add a, another 100 officers, and then hopefully the year after that, we'll get the rest uh, to get all 300. With respect to spending, I am not as excited about where we're heading in terms of spending. Uh, this was eye-opening for me, this first budget process. 
uh, to see some of the things that we spend money on uh, really gives me heartburn. And I know Marina and I have talked uh, a little bit about that and, and moving into the next budget cycle. I hope to do so again. We just had the vote on CPS, um, which I'm sure we'll, we'll get to um, we in, will. In, in, <laughs> in a minute. But but that was a, a an opportunity, I think a missed opportunity from my perspective. And, and you may have found an area where Marina and I will disagree on that one. Um, but it, for me, it was a missed opportunity because my plan would have involved um, redirecting some spending uh, in next year's budget. And so that's really what I want us to do as a council. And I think Marina would probably tell you the same. The way the budget process works is we get this proposed budget and at the end of the day, there's really not a lot of moving money around, cutting from here, adding there. That really doesn't happen. And that frustrates me. It's, a, it's almost a base budget. It's almost a base budget. And really, just we get the extra money from CPS at the end of the day, and then we figure out what to do with that. I want to have a conversation about the entire thing. Why are we spending this money over here? Could we better use that money over there? Doing what every San Antonio family has to do every single year, prioritize what we spend our money on. But we really never had that conversation um, in this budget process. And so I'm hoping that moving into next year, um, and we're not all going to agree on where the money should go, but that's okay. Let's at least have a conversation about it. Both of you have told me separately that one year frustrations is the city bureaucracy, that it's like an aircraft carrier. How do you overcome that in order to achieve the change that you want to see and that you campaign for and that you think the people of San Antonio deserve? Yeah, so definitely coming from the business world into city government, you're just like, oh, God. You know, it's it's like you're running and someone's behind you pulling your t-shirt back, you know, and so you're running with that, that, that force and it's, it's frustrating, you know, and, and I agree with Mark in, you know, this was both of our first budget season. And I do agree that we, we do need to take a step back and look at what the priorities are of the city and match up our spending accordingly. And and we're, we're not, you know, we, we do kind of get that base budget and we can ask questions here and there, but I, I think it deserves for us, you know, deserves the exercise of us taking a step back and saying, hey, what as a city, what are, let's be strategic about this. What are our priorities and how are we investing accordingly? And, and what are not priorities anymore and what should we not be investing in? You know, I mean, I, I completely agree with him in that, you know, there's there's definitely always tightening that that can happen. Um, and so uh, I, I'm looking forward to the next budget season now that I have now that we both have this under our belt um, to see how how we can be better next time, but you know, wor- working in um, in city bureaucracy is is interesting. You know, I, I definitely understand some of the reasons why it's set up the way it is, but that doesn't make it any less frustrating. And so we're just having to work with and and obviously building relationships to get stuff done. I mean, just like you do in the business world. I mean that that that's definitely a practice that you take here too. Yeah. So one of the reasons I was so excited that. Marina got on the council as well is because, you know, not only is she smart and has a big heart, but she has been in the business world. And so she understands how these things work um, like I do. And 
she gets that when you run a business, which is really what our city is, right? It's it's a big multi-billion dollar um, operation that we're running here. You've got to prioritize spending. You've got to take a step back sometimes and reevaluate your operations because that's how you get better. When you, when you look at yourself and figure out, you know, what can we do better? What what can we improve upon? And that's what we do in the business world. That's what we need to do as a city. And to your point, and 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 I know Marina's frustrated with it too. To, to have things change feels like it takes a Herculean effort. But I believe that this council can do it. We, we have to push back a bit with city staff and say, hey, we are going to look under the hood on some of these things. And we do want to reexamine the way that we do things. And I think if there's enough of us, which I do believe there are now, that are pushing back on this, we can change a little bit of how we've been doing business. And that's just going to be for the benefit of of San Antonians. And is it going to be perhaps a little bit uncomfortable um, for for staff and everybody when we go through the process? Sure, but that's okay because that's how we're going to end up in a better place. I'm wondering if in an entity the size of the city of San Antonio, how many programs, how many initiatives – are doing things that may not be as efficient as they should be. And, you know, without naming names, in the past couple of months, we've come to find out that there's a few of our delegate agencies that aren't really um, performing as we would have wanted them to, that aren't using our city dollars uh, as they should be. And we've talked about we need to do another look at all of these programs and these agencies, which ones are working, which ones are not. What are we really wanting to get from some of these groups? You know, are they producing at a level that that we find acceptable? Because it's not right to continue to spend the citizens' money on these programs if they're not producing for our citizens. And so that's just one example where I think we need to step back um, and take a look at, at, at what we're doing in that regard. And, and an, another example, when you were talking about kind of the outdated machines, um, one of the things that frustrates a lot of residents, and it's frustrated me before several times in the past, is our 311 system. You know, you call 311. I mean, there's been times that I'm running around the lake and I call 311 and no one's answering because it's not out. It's outside of hours of operation. And I'm like, really? Because what am I supposed to do? There's loose dogs, you know, at six in the morning. Um, Or you call them and uh, you get an automated email that your ticket's closed and you're like, but these dogs are still out here, you know, and stuff. And so I think that um, the city, you know, this is is our interface with residents. 311 is an interface for how residents interact with the city. And there's a lot of improvement that needs to, to be there, you know, um, not only just with the ticket closing, but their experience overall. And so oftentimes I feel that a lot of us over the council offices have to overcompensate that. And, and you know, a resident will say, yes, I called 311 and I got this closed email, but, you know, maybe my neighbor's yard is still overgrown. And so then I'm having to say, call our office. We'll, we'll get it taken care of for you. In this particular case, We have people who have lost their limbs, and we have people who have died. 
as a result of dangerous dogs. So this is quite an important um, aspect and city service that Mm -hmm. needs to be reevaluated. I, I, and I, I think it need, I think we need to go back to the drawing board on animal care services. Um, sometimes we, and, and I don't disagree, you know, animal care services is trying to be everything to everyone. And I'm like, no, it, the, one of the things that, you know, I was pretty vocal about during the last budget season is we need to invest in more boots on the ground. We need more ACS patrol officers doing their job and picking up these dogs off of our street, you know, and, I know that that there's loud voices who want, hey, how are we going to adopt them? And, and, you know, making sure that the dogs are publicized before they they do have to get euthanized. None of us want to see these dogs die. And it's definitely not the dog's fault. But again, my priority, and and, and I I know I shared this with Mark, is, is residents. You know, I can't have a little kid walking to school, even the risk of that, a little kid walking to school and interacting with a dangerous dog. I mean, we, we, San Antonio is already on the map for this, you know, for how many of our residents are getting attacked by dogs. I mean, and it's ridiculous. Is you know? there a time frame that is, is the clock ticking? Is everyone who's involved here aware of the necessity for safety reasons that this needs to be fixed pretty quickly? Yeah, I mean, I would say that city, the city staff get it. They understand um, the risk. Uh, I'm just trying to put fire under butts to to get it done quicker. Um, but also, too, I mean, I, I do think in, in kind of what Mark was mentioning earlier, I think it deserves us taking a, a step back and saying, what we're doing is not working. It, it isn't. You know, I mean, to me, that's clear that what ACS is doing is not working. Yes, they have been underfunded. And so we're try, trying to course correct that through the past budget season. But at the same time, too, I think we need, we need to look at it at a macro level and say, what should you all be doing? Why? Are, let's focus on that and get rid of the rest. Are there examples across the country that we're aware of that do a better job? Or I'm assuming city staff is taking a look at that. Yeah, I, I think that the, there are a lot of other examples. And San Antonio is unique in that, you know, because of our temperature, dogs can breed 365 days a year. You know, I think it's also cultural, you know, like, hey, let the dogs out, let them roam around. People don't fix their dogs, you know. And so there's a lot of cultural things I think that need to change. I also think one of the other things, too, is that we're going to be working with our statewide elected officials because in Texas, dogs are property. And so when Animal Care Services does pick up a dog, they can't fix them. You know, they can't spay or neuter them. In all other states, and actually Mississippi just passed this, so we're technically behind Mississippi in this regard, when their animal care services picks up a dog, they can fix, spay or neuter them. And we pick up a dog and it goes right back to its owner a couple of days later, you know, and gets out probably two weeks later. And to me, that's a tremendous waste of taxpayer resources that we're always having to go back out, pick, pick up this pick dog up and n- dog. do nothing, do nothing with it, you know. And so we're working with uh, our statewide elected officials to try and push that in the next legislative session so that our animal care services can pick up the dog and and fix it. I want to go back, Mark, you talked about the CPS rate increase. So this is an issue where actually the two of you did agree that CPS needed the money to carry out their vision. You also both agreed the rate increase was going to be hard on those who live below the poverty line or those on fixed incomes. 
where you diverged was the rate on uh, the actual rate increase itself. So, Mark, you offered up an amendment uh, that failed by a single vote uh, to cut the rate increase in half. So tell me about your thinking behind that. Yeah, and I'm glad you clarified that because Marina and I were in agreement on on everything that, that you just said. Um, my amendment was really looking at the big picture of where we are as a city and how we want to deal with CPS moving forward. So I, I offered an amendment to cut the rate increase in half to 2.125%. And then make up the rest of the money that CPS needed um, through redirecting city funds in, into CPS. So it, your amendment was not to deny CPS money. It was just to say half can come from the rate increase and half from another pocket, another bucket of money, so to speak. Half from the rate increase, uh, the majority of the rest from city dollars. And then I also said to CPS, um, you know, I think you guys can also do a little bit of self-reflection and perhaps tighten your belt slightly as well. So um, it was a combination of things where, again, yes, the majority was going to come from 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 our budget um, redirecting funds. You know, the city budget is set to grow another 90 to $100 million next year. And so what I wanted to do is take some of that money and invest it back into CPS. You know, Councilwoman um, Haverda earlier this year, as you know, put forth that proposal to say, hey, we need to take a look at if we really need to be taking 14% of CPS's revenue every year. This was sort of a spin on that proposal, right? Just let's invest some money back into CPS. We all agree that Rudy Garza is doing a great job over there at CPS. We all agree that the long-term health and sustainability of CPS is of utmost importance, and they needed this money. I just wanted to fund it a little differently through some through some city some city cuts and redirecting redirecting that money. And, and I, uh, you know, we just we just came a vote short. Okay, so the, you 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 lost on your amendment, and then the final vote came up for the rate increase. You voted against it, and Marina, you voted for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I, I thought uh, the proposal that, well, the amendment that Mark put forward was was a good one. I think it's worth us having that conversation. I don't disagree that, you know, in, in that as a city, you know, if we're to get a, a budget surplus, a CPS surplus next year, instead of allocating it to a bunch of different projects, which need to be done, by the way, you know, because some, some districts have a, have a lot of less infrastructure than some of the other districts, that we we should be strategic about potential surplus and say, hey, should we invest more of this back into CPS? You know, I, I, I completely agree. I think that that is, um, it's a worthwhile exercise. Where, why I didn't vote for the amendment this time is because when we're talking about taking up that funding um, from the city budget, my thought was, how can we guarantee that that's not going to be taken away from public safety? You know, and so that was that was my thinking. And we would have to have another conversation at another time on where we would take the funding from. And I just didn't want to risk decreasing our public safety budget because that is one of the things that residents are, of District 7 have been loud and clear on. And I, I know we disagree there, but um, go ahead. Well, to, to be clear, we, we certainly do not disagree on the fact that neither of us would ever propose taking a dollar right. away from our public safety budget to move it anywhere. 
Um, but yes, we were going to have to have the conversation. If my amendment had passed, we were going to have to have the conversation in the spring about where we would get this other $42.5 million. And so if it's not going to be from public safety, it was going to have to be elsewhere. And, and Marina's right. There, there may have been some on our city council that would have suggested taking it from public safety. There would have been others that would have suggested taking it from some other portion of the budget. But that's the conversation mm -hmm. that I wanted us to have. Um, and yes, would it have been uncomfortable for CPS to have to wait a little bit longer to see if they were going to get that money in the budget? Yes. And would Marina and I have had to fight back against anybody that wanted to take money from uh, the public safety budget? Yes. But listen, you know, to make great strides, sometimes it's uncomfortable. Sometimes you have to put in the hard work. And my belief is we would have gotten to where we wanted to be. Now, I'm not giving up on this. And I've already talked with Marina about it. When, and, and I've talked with the city manager about it. When we get into budget discussions next year, we need to talk about reinvesting money into CPS to help eliminate or at least minimize future rate increases. So I want to build upon this and still have the conversation uh, when we get into the 2025 budget process. So it seems like there's two issues. The first issue is for, for the average San Antonio citizen who's not familiar with the city charter, the city charter allows the city of San Antonio to take 14% of CPS revenues. The second issue is what happens at the end of the budget cycle when CPS has even more money left over? It becomes a feeding frenzy at City Hall with everyone wanting to fund pet projects, Marina, to your point earlier, and that we need to have conversations about how do we more strategically uh, invest that money. So is that something that could be easily applied back to CPS? Because I see this a little bit like the parents are breaking into the CPS piggy bank and then blaming the child for not having enough money to do their job. Yeah, you know, I, I do think that it is it is taking this from what Mark is saying on on how are we as a city being strategic with where our funding goes. And we do all agree that it need, a lot of it should be focused on CPS because we all need the lights to go on. Every single resident in, in San Antonio needs the light to go on. It is that important. And when lights go off, you know, or w during winter storm, Yuri, people aren't thinking, oh, CPS. They are thinking the city of San Antonio, you know. So I, I definitely agree that it is a core function that we all need to be focused on. Um, and and I also agree that when we are talking about the surplus that CPS has been giving us in recent years because of the load and how much they're, they've been also making, instead of allocating out to pet projects, you know, let's be strategic and say, hey, how should we invest this $20 million? For instance, uh, with last year's budget season, and should half of it go to back to CPS so we can push off other rate increases? I think that's a worthy conversation. And, and I would agree that CPS does need to be the focus. Mark? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, this was Marina and I's first budget process. Mm -hmm. So it was, it all came at us. It all mm -hmm. came at us pr pretty quickly. But now I think there is at least some consensus on the council that, that we need to really look at what we're doing with these excess funds um, and otherwise, you know, and, you know, to me, it would have been easier to have this conversation had CPS only gotten the 2.125 
because we would have had to make up the difference. We would have absolutely had to. Now that the full rate increase went through, I can see some of our colleagues saying, well, Mark, we just gave them the full increase. Why, why do we need to now think about giving them more money um, from our budget? So I think it may be a little bit tougher now, but I think if enough of us get together and say, listen, CPS has already said they're coming back for another rate increase pretty soon. We need to get ahead of it mm-hmm. and think right now about what we're doing with our budget dollars. Um, if we do that, I think we can get somewhere. And I was just also going to add, um, yeah, I completely agree with what, what Mark just said. I also think for me, going into this CPS budget increase, you mentioned how you know we were all focused on our financially vulnerable residents and for me specifically our older adults on fixed incomes so you know i think in one of the first b sessions i asked can we grandfather our older adults to be in the current rate infrastructure uh, current rate plans and um is that an age discrimination issue no that, so i found that texas our texas public utilities code law you know we cannot it you cannot um discriminate based on on age for 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 the utility rates and so i was just like i mean it's annoying so we tried to figure out how else can we protect our older adults on fixed incomes and our financially vulnerable residents with this rate increase and so that's why we started pushing hard with cps on the affordable discount program opening up the qualifying uh factors for that so that more people can be enrolled in that program. Also right now, you know, CPS has some folks enrolled, but we're going to be partnering with them, taking them out to our older adult homes, you know, some of the apartments that we have and making sure our older adults are signed up for for the affordable discount program. So because basically the, the rate increase becomes a wash. I'm going to segue that into the Charter Review Commission because one of the issues that the commission is looking at is the tenure of the city manager's time as well as his compensation because that was impacted by um, the unions in the previous administration. So you've got a couple of issues that stand out, I think. The mayor announced the Charter Review Commission, which is being co-chaired by Bonnie Elder, the general counsel over VIA, and David Zamilio, who is a consultant. Previously, he was with Project Quest, and prior to that, he spent 32 and a half years at USAA. They're going to look at whether to add members to the council, whether to change council member compensation, uh, the city manager, manager's uh, tenure and compensation, as well as having an independent autonomous body to look at redistricting type issues. So I guess we'll start with the adding council members. What is your take on this issue? I'm adamantly against adding council districts. I think we can um, represent the folks that that we all have in in our districts perfectly well. Um, We're close to the people Anybody that want to get that wants access to it at any time really can can get it. It's been no problem um, attending all the different neighborhood meetings and, and and talking with everybody about about their issues in different parts of the district. I also think we just did redistricting last year, and so to, to redraw the lines again uh, would be pretty silly. And so we should put that conversation off um, until we we redraw the lines next time. I also think we can't underestimate the cost of adding new council members as well, right? You got more staff costs and 
all sorts of overhead and administrative costs that come with new council district. It also costs the business community, you know, more time and money as well because there's more folks to go to go and, and visit with. So um, I just I don't see the need for any new council districts at this time. Oh, yeah. I completely agree with Mark. I, I think adding council districts, uh, one, it, it would have been nice if we would have had this conversation because I think almost all of us um, on council don't think it's a great idea to add more council districts. If if the goal of adding more council districts is constituent services, then we could add a new constituent services person to every single one of our teams. You know, that would have been a more efficient and effective use of our of our money. And and I'm not taking credit for that idea. Uh, I was having a conversation with Councilwoman Terry Castillo, and she mentioned that, and I thought it was a, it was a great idea. You know, because, you know, like Mark said, if you're talking about adding staff for two new council districts, I mean, that's heavy. That's a heavy load, not only for city staff to have to work to meet, you know, with two more council members, but also, you know, the business community and others. It just really doesn't, it doesn't make sense. And also, too, the redistricting, um, I'm in complete agreement. I was like, we just went through this exercise. So it, I, I don't feel it's an effective use of our time and resources to, to do that again. And what about council pay? Of all the issues on the list, I'll tell you, that's probably the one that I have thought about the least, in, in all honesty. This is a... And, and just to remind people, this is not something you as the council members are putting together the Charter Review Commission, um, which is made up of 12 to 15 people, they're actually going to be making recommendations to the mayor. And then that is an item because it affects the charter that has to be voted on by the people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and you know, I'm interested to see what they come back with. Hopefully, um, everybody on that commission is, is aware of, you know, what the job entails and, and, and the time that it takes and what it is that we do on a day-to-day basis. And, and you know, whatever they come back with, uh, I'm happy to live with. You know, it, it, you know in a lot of ways, adding, adding pay, you know, is, is another cost to the citizens. And so um, I certainly, I don't take that lightly. So again, really, I haven't focused on the pay issue at all. Yeah, for for me, you know, my predecessor left because of the pay, of the low pay. You know, she had a little girl and she couldn't. Um, this is your predecessor was Councilwoman Anna Sandoval, yeah, yeah, who took a much higher paying job. She mm-hmm. was she's part of the sandwich generation that's taking care of parents and kids, mm-hmm. right? And and so you know, I think she was very open about saying, "Hey, I need to make things work for for my daughter and her mom." And so, you know, we're seeing talent like that leave because of it. You know, I, I know for me, um, coming from the business world and, and focusing on council full time, it's not fun, you know. Um, but I, I, I'm working 10 times harder than I've ever worked and getting paid what I got paid right out of college. So you're just like, all right, here, here we go. Um, but it also, I think, opens up, you know, Luckily, you know, I'm positioned with my husband and others that I can I can do this, you know. And so um, I do think that the pay needs to be looked at. Uh, you have our county commissioners getting paid. What do they get paid? One fifty? Yeah. Or something uh, like that. Yeah. And I think all of us county commissioners and council members would agree that ours is much more of a full time job. And and I 
I love focusing on this full time, you know, because I am able to respond to residents quickly. I'm able to work with a team on issues. Um, and I want this to have my full time focus because it, you know, that it it matters that much to me, but also to make ends meet with kids and, and others. And I, I'm going to have to get another job. It's it's interesting because I, I do hear people say, um, you guys only meet once a week, but that doesn't include, Mark, you talked about town hall meetings. Marina, you've talked about constituency groups, you know, meeting with people on a regular basis. And so your days, I'm assuming, are pretty full with council-related activities. That's right. The, yep. the the one council meeting a week that we have is is really just the the tip of the iceberg. Mm-hmm. There's there's so much more that that goes into it, and you know the people of San Antonio deserve it. Though they deserve to have a council person um, that is fully focused on them, and um, I know Marina is is certainly doing that in her office, and we're doing that in our office, uh, and I assume all of our council colleagues are doing that as well because that's that's what the people expect. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna give each of you a magic wand and if you could change anything at city hall what would that be the notion of taking a step back and saying hey this isn't working acs is not working we've got to do something different and and being willing to change it that that would be nice okay acs animal care Uh, services i I, want to give you two things okay that's all right (laughs) I, i want there to be a greater willingness to examine what we're doing and put in the hard work to find ways to do things better. So that's a little bit of questioning the status quo? Yes. Okay. And then secondly, transparency. We need transparency from city staff. Um, We we, we need to know everything. We need to to get all the information. And then we've also got to be more transparent with the public because the public's trust – in what we're doing in government it is so important. If they can't trust and feel like they have a voice and can see clearly as to what we're doing, then we're, we're not going to be effective and, and they're going to be angry about, about the things they see going on. So, so I'd like to see more transparency uh, with respect to our interactions with, with staff and then again how we convey things to the public. I agree. Okay. And lastly, do you have any questions of each other? <laughs> Am I your favorite other council member? <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Uh, we'll pick that up in the next episode, <laughs> the answer to that question. Uh, no, seriously, do you have any questions about upcoming issues or positions on policies? You know, I, I would maybe just ask about goals for for 2024 mm-hmm. um, and how I can be helpful um, to you, Marina, and in, in what you're looking to do and, and how we can work together to, to move the city forward. Well, I'm glad you asked because <laughs> I will need your help on stuff. You know, I do think that, you know, we are going to make a hard push on, on animal care services, on holding people who have dangerous dogs accountable and also those residents that ACS gets called out to time and time again, making sure that that we can clear that up, you know, because that is a huge waste of taxpayer dollars. Also, looking, you know, one of the things that my team and I is, our team and I are looking on is instead of having surgeries on dogs, you know, fix. We all know that spaying and neutering needs to happen. More of it needs to happen. But I mean, can they? Take a pill? Can we give them a shot? You know, like, what are, what are, I mean, what are the options? What are the options? Like, let's be creative and think through uh, some of those things. 
Um, but also, too, I know that one of the things that both Mark and I care a lot about and we we need to make sure we get it right is working with our homeless issue, you know, and making sure that the city does not go the route that San Francisco and Seattle did on our watch, you know. So we're, we're going to need that. That one's a com- complex problem and there's no silver bullet solution. And so it's it's going to take um, us coming at it from a, a bunch of different angles. Okay. So now any, I can, any questions of Mark? What surprises do you have in store? <laughs> <laughs> He's always full of surprises. So uh, I think I'm a pretty open book at this point. <laughs> um, the one thing that I am going to ask, not only of you, but and really not as much of you as the rest of council, is to really stay focused on on the city issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I know you mentioned that earlier um, in the podcast. And so I hope that you and I together can get this council uh, to focus on, on what, what we're there to do. You know, mm-hmm. there's a there's a lot of um, desire by some on council to, I think, get involved in issues that are federal issues or that are state issues, because I get it. You know, they're frustrated with things that are going on at other levels of government. But if we're going to be effective, we've got to stay focused um, on our local city issues. Mm-hmm. And um, I would love your help in, in making sure we do so. You got it. From classmates in Leadership San Antonio to colleagues on the San Antonio City Council, Marina Alderete Gavito and Mark White continue to push the city forward, and they've pledged to work together on a host of issues of common interest. That does it for this episode. Beyond the Bite is a production of Alderete Strategic Partners in San Antonio. Our thanks to editor Nick Chamberlain of Every Word Media, And our thanks to the fine folks at Lano Realty Partners for the use of their studio. If you enjoy this podcast, please give us a rating on the podcast platform of your choice and share it with your colleagues, family, and friends. Until next time, we thank you for listening.